Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Ariana Brocious, in for Christopher Conover. On today's show, school lunch is on the menu. About 32 million children participate in the National School Lunch Program at about 95% of the country's schools. Mark France is the Director of School Nutrition Programs for the Arizona Department of Education. He says the National School Lunch Program was signed into law by President Harry Truman in 1946 during the draft, after the military realized high school students were malnourished and not ready for military service. It was a big concern for Congress at the time, and they knew that it was because they were not getting nutritional meals. Uh, The United States was coming out of the Great Depression. So they instituted the National School Lunch Act so that students in schools would have access to a healthy and nutritious meal at a free or reduced price for students that were at or near the poverty level. And that uh, was so successful that they also started the National School Breakfast Program as a pilot program in 1966, and then two years later that became a national program. There were some changes implemented, I know, in the last couple decades. So can you give us an update on, on what happened in 2005 and then also the changes that came about under the Obama administration? In 2005 is when Congress asked the CDC to conduct a study updating nutrition recommendations for the school meal programs. And the result of that study was the culmination of the Healthy Hunger-Free Kids Act of 2010, which President Obama signed into law and made the first real reforms to the school meal patterns uh, in over 30 years. And what were some of those major changes? The major changes were an increase requirement of fruit and vegetables being offered daily, Uh, an increase in the amount of whole grains and the reduction in the milk fat that was offered as part of the program. So it only allowed fat-free or low-fat milk varieties to be served to children. All of these changes had a result of reducing the amount of calories on a weekly basis and reducing saturated fat, trans fat, and sodium served to children on a weekly basis. And some of those changes have been rolled back under the Trump administration. Is that right? Some of the requirements of schools in terms of the whole grains, for instance? Yes. So the Trump administration has directed USDA to release increased flexibilities for the coming 2019-2020 school year. And those are specifically for more flexibility around the whole grain requirement. It has been 100% whole grain rich products that have only been allowed to be served. That's going back to a 50% whole grain rich requirement. And also, we were supposed to go to tier two sodium levels, which was a more stringent decrease in sodium. And they have reset the sodium requirements to be back to tier one. So it's the same sodium requirements we've had since 2010. As director of compliance for the school nutrition programs in Arizona, do you think that those schools need additional flexibility? Have they been able to implement those changes that were put in place in 2010? I don't believe that Arizona schools have needed those. We have seen almost 100% of our schools in Arizona serve all whole grain rich items for the past several years. So as a state agency, we are offering 
schools to continue to serve 100% whole grain rich items. And we have a new campaign on our website called the Whole Grain Rich Pledge, where schools are able to sign on for this coming school year and dedicate to continue to serving 100% whole grain rich items. And we're excited to see how many schools are going to join that pledge and continue to serve that way for students. When you travel around the state and and go to school cafeterias and have the lunches or, or see what's being offered, what are you seeing? Do you think the meals are appetizing looking? Are they healthy? Do they seem filling for students? I think in general, the meals we see across the state of Arizona are very healthy. We've seen such an increase in fruits and vegetables being served since 2010. And so we see a whole lot more of that on their plates. And there are a lot of studies that support that because they're on their plates, there's more of them being consumed. They're not just going in the trash. Uh, We also see whole grain rich items served throughout the state. And in general, I think all the meals that we see today are a lot healthier than what has been traditionally depicted as a school lunch meal. That was Mark France, Director of School Nutrition Programs for Arizona. Next, we hear from two people responsible for getting those meals to students. Lindsay Aguilar is Administrative Dietitian for Tucson Unified School District. Gulen Hicks is co-founder and CFO of Arizona College Prep Academy and the National School Lunch Program Director there. I asked them to give us a snapshot of the food service programs at their respective schools. Arizona College Prep Academy is a public um, charter high school, and we serve 120 students. We have one location um, on Broadway right by um, Alcon, and um, 80% of our students qualify for free and reduced lunch, and every day we serve about 80 to 100 students uh, breakfast and then 80 to 100 students lunch. And at Tucson Unified, um, we have 86 school sites that we operate Um, the federal meal program, so breakfast, lunch, and then we also do supper meals at the majority of our schools. Um, We serve about 35,000 meals a day during the school year. That's breakfast, lunch, and supper combined. So that's a really dramatic difference from most single school, and we'll get into that a bit further here in a minute. Um, But Gulen, I wanted to ask you, as a charter school, do you have the choice whether or not to participate And if so, why did you choose to participate in the National School Lunch Program? When we founded our charter in 2011, we were given the choice to participate or not. And um, at the previous schools that we had been involved in, um, they did not actually participate in it. And um, I found out why afterwards, um, partly because the administrative cost is high, um, but the benefits to our students and to our community is great, given our um, free and reduced percentage of students. If we do not participate, um, many of our students don't eat or they eat um, incredibly unhealthy, ready packaged, um, super cheap, super accessible food. And we thought it was worth it to participate in it. So what are the challenges that you face on either end of the spectrum as a small school, as a charter school, or as a big district serving thousands of kids that make the school lunch program more difficult or, or, or just are part of implementation? Um, I think just in general, budget is definitely <laughs> a challenge as far as, um, you know, uh, food costs. You know, I've been there for 14 years and the average food cost has kind of doubled since I first started. And then labor costs, you know, definitely have been impacted in our state. 
And then particular for TUSD with our um, unfortunate declining enrollment, that has definitely had a direct correlation to our participation levels. So and then just trying to come up with creative, you know, ways to entice students and get their interest um, in our program, because depending on elementary, it's a little more captive audience as far as they all come into the cafeteria. And if their friends are eating, you know, they want to eat. But a lot of older students want to use lunchtime as their social time rather than standing in line to get a meal. And so then then, of course, the perception of parents and the community and what kind of foods we're serving. I think for a small school like ACPA, two sides to it. One is from the student's perspective, um, getting them food that they would like to eat, that they find tasty. So so working closely um, with our caterer, um, which is the second kind of challenge is we have to work with a caterer because we do not have the size to prepare the food on site. And in Tucson, there just aren't that many caterers. And then from an operational standpoint, for me, the biggest challenge is probably, I know there are a lot of resources out there, um, but just the time and energy that it takes to research those resources. And then once we find them, if they're grants or, you know, things that take time, how do we, you know, make the time um, to get access to those? So you both mentioned getting kids to eat as a challenge. And of course, there is a very well-known reputation for school food, for school lunch. So given the changes that went into effect um, in 2010, the Healthy and Hunger-Free Kids Act, what are the lunches today looking like compared to maybe what they were, you know, 10 years ago? And are they are they addressing, do you think, those challenges of getting kids to eat now that they're even healthier than they were? I would say in my experience, yes, the short answer. Um, what I've kind of really liked about the updated meal pattern with the 2010 reauthorization is the consistency. And we can really tie in the nutrition education and our other outside the cafeteria efforts with the plate, the my plate, and educating students that when they come into the cafeteria, they're going to see the whole grains, the fruits, vegetables, protein, and milk. So teaching them at a young age what a complete you know, meal and the different components should look like. The offer versus serve is part of the program that we operate, which does help address kids taking what it is that they'd actually like to eat. They can make choices, which I feel is very important to teach kids to, you know, take ownership of their eating habits. So even though we might be serving some things that, you know, parents or the community might view as not healthy, you know, pizza or chicken nuggets, they're whole grain, they're low sodium, just educating our customers and our stakeholders. Because things changed about 10 years ago, the students we have now have been educated, are coming in understanding a lot more about nutrition and healthy eating and healthy living. I, I do also agree that when we tie it into our curriculum with our fitness classes and with our nutrition classes, then the breakfast and lunch program, the meal program is not a standalone thing that instead it's incorporated into their lives. So who creates the menus at your schools and do the students have input into those menus? At ACPA, we work closely with our um, caterer, Healthy Innovations. Uh, they have a nutrition specialist, so I sit down with her and we kind of create the menu. Um, students do give feedback as they eat the food. We just collect it um, at our front office and we're able to change the menu on a monthly basis as um, we notice certain things are preferred and other things are not very popular. 
Um, and at TUSD, we have a menu development team. So we have a district chef that oversees that process of bringing in new items, creating new dishes, doing, you know, market research for what, you know, kids are eating and what's popular, and then putting that into a healthier version that meets the meal requirements that we need to meet. What that process looks like is it happens all throughout the year, and um, we have central level um, administrative testings for all items. We have a team that reviews the nutritionals, the ingredients, the pricing, the taste, quality. And then if it passes at the central level, it goes out to student testing. So everything on our menu is tested by students and the items have to pass at 75% or more to even be eligible to be uh, placed on our menus. And then we're constantly reviewing that and making adjustments. Big picture thinking, what would you do if you had significantly more funding in terms of thinking about tying nutrition and food into the whole school day? Well, I think first of all, I would feed every kid because I think we both feel this. You know, sometimes the student misses the free or reduced cutoff by their family's income of $500 a year um, and they don't qualify. Therefore, they choose not to get the food. So if there was a way, I would just feed every kid. And, um, you know, many kids actually want seconds. But I think beyond that, I would really like to create a more comprehensive, um, more resource-filled um, program for our kids and not a push model um, where we're pushing information to the kids, but how do we create it so it's a pull model? So they're intrigued by it. They they want to learn and they want to be a part of this thing. Um, and I absolutely agree with Gulen. I think I would love to see, you know, the meal program and nutrition tie in more to the educational day as far as it's not just the 30 minutes of lunchtime, but that, you know, nutrition education is required. And there's, like she mentioned, a comprehensive approach to wellness and health and nutrition. What we have found with our efforts in wellness and nutrition is the more that you can involve students, like with school gardens, um, that's what makes them so successful. And you have the buy-in of the students they are involved. They're getting literally their hands in the dirt. Um, so I'd love to see that transpose over into the kitchen. And, you know, we find so many students that don't know how to cook. And we've done some, we've had some grants that we've been fortunate to receive where we can do some cooking classes. And those are just like the garden, so successful because a lot of that doesn't happen at home. I think having that kind of like the home economics back in the day um, kind of approach would be something that if we had unlimited resources, I would love to be able to do. Thank you both for your time. Thank you. Thank you. That was Lindsay Aguilar of TUSD and Gulen Hicks of the Arizona College Prep Academy. Research shows that getting proper nutrition is essential for students to learn. This summer, the Sunnyside Unified School District is again offering free lunch and breakfast to help bridge the gap for kids that rely on those meals during the school year. Duncan Moon visited one of those schools. It's the calm before the storm in the cafeteria at Desert View High School. In about 10 minutes, the room will be rocking with the sound of hungry summer school students. Jesus Lopez, the facilitator for the summer school food service program, says making sure the kids get fed properly is vital. 84% of the students at Desert View are on free and reduced price school meal plans. So most of these kids basically wouldn't have a meal at home if we didn't provide this for them. Jesus Lopez has worked in school food service for 20 years. Before that, working as a cook in the Navy. 
He feeds about 300 students here at Desert View and more than 1,200 across the district. The kids begin to filter in. They pick up their trays, move out into the lunchroom or the outdoor courtyard. Today's fare smells good and looks healthy. Macaroni and beef, broccoli, pineapple, and slice of toast. And either milk or chocolate milk to wash it down. The pasta and pineapple seem to go down well, but on many plates, the broccoli remains untouched. Priscilla, who's attending summer school for the first time, says the food is not that great, but she seems to have eaten most of it. I'm just eating because I'm hungry. What would you like better? McDonald's. <laughs> Jesus Lopez says Priscilla is not an anomaly. There is a constant fight to help students learn about the importance of nutrition, and fast food is a powerful adversary. It's very important that the, the kids realize how important it is to the nutrition because you can go and get a, a cheeseburger from McDonald's and it'd be the hamburger in there, but the same type of meat could be made in a meatloaf, which is healthy for you. And I don't think they realize that at this level. He says getting proper nourishment is as important to education as studying. Without it, he says many of these students are at a disadvantage. It's important that the kids in this district get a meal at breakfast and at lunch to be able to study in the classroom. He says making the food look appealing is key. The kids don't realize that we're serving hamburger buns or pizza on wheat grain doughs and stuff like that. So by making it look appealing and appetizing, the kids don't realize that the healthy stuff is in there and they're really eating it. At the table next to Priscilla, there are three boys. One of them, Jake, says the food is not as good in the summer as it is during the school year. It was all right, you know, didn't have too much flavor, but I think it was all right, you know, it was eatable. How important is it to get a good meal during the day for school? Uh, very good, because after this, we got to go to practice. Jake still hasn't touched his broccoli, but he says he understands its value. I just might take a bite or two after this, you know. It's like working out. Yeah. No pain, no gain. Yeah, exactly. Jesus Lopez says that sort of active realization about the importance of eating healthy is what he hopes they can achieve with all the kids. Eating can be healthy. It's what, you, what you're taught and trained as a young adult to be able to move yourself forward in that aspect. If he had more resources, he says he would like to provide hands-on classes in nutrition and preparing healthy food in the cafeteria kitchen. He says the more educators can make school meals part of the daily education process rather than a break from it, the more success they will have in getting kids to eat right. For The Buzz, I'm Duncan Moon. For the last five years, Ronnie Olson has coordinated TUSD's Farm to School program. She's also working on a new food literacy program, as well as nutrition and food system programs at the University of Arizona. She says the Farm to School program is a bigger effort than most people realize. It's a national initiative, so it is not specific to our community. What happens is um, different communities throughout the nation are really figuring out ways to um, support our local farmers. And one of those ways is to, to um, bring local foods into larger institutions. The volume of institutional food is huge. Um, there's no way that um, institutions in our southern Arizona region would ever be able to source a majority of their produce from um, our local community. We don't have that capacity. So part of where we're at as a Southern Arizona community is we're trying to figure out ways to actually support 
local farmers in where they're at and what their needs are. And so part of these communications and the the conversations that we're having is around what are the impediments and what are the opportunities? And so the institutional portion is saying this is a really great opportunity to bring local produce, um, help build capacity with local farmers, provide a really consistent arena for growers to actually distribute their food to with a reliable source of income. Um, and then from the institutional side, that looks like changing a lot of policies, procurement processes. It also looks at um, kind of an internal education of understanding that in large institutions, the way that produce and food is purchased looks very different. You can't just order bananas um, from a local farmer a week before you need them by the thousands of pounds, right? It's a year-long planning process to make sure farmers have the seeds, they're preparing the soil properly, they have transportation, they're planning for the different kind of environmental factors that are happening in our region, and that they also line up with a very specific academic school year. I've noticed this misconception that the farm to school program is just about giving students an opportunity to know what a local carrot looks like. And although that's part of it, it's also about educating adults, right, about our food system, about where our food comes from, um, the challenges of growing food. So what are the kinds of things students are seeing from local farms in their lunches? And how often is that happening in the TUSD schools? So in terms of how how students are connecting to local food, every year we try to look at one, two, or three different items that we're really going to focus in on. The first year or two was really about conversations. Um, it was about figuring out what the needs were in different areas, what the time frame might look like, how to fit local food into an institutional atmosphere with, I mean, some of this stuff sounds really silly, but it's a log- they're all logistical challenges. So it's packaging size. It's what is the quality and condition of the produce coming in so that the service, the team at food services is actually able to handle it and process it. So when you look at certain items that grow really well and have a really, a relatively long shelf life, like carrots is a great example, a really easy sell for kids, right? It's not like kohlrabi or a radish, right? But when you're getting them in and they we don't have equipment in southern Arizona to properly wash carrots, now we're dealing with washing and now we're dealing with chopping. Now we're dealing in putting them in a portion size that fit into what the nutritional needs are for schools to qualify for free and reduced lunch programs. It's this very clunky system. So in terms of the farm to school uh, program, it's weekly, usually weekly. So we get very regular, a very regular supply of local lettuce coming in from Merchant's Garden. Uh, And that's getting distributed to high schools throughout the district um, and elementary schools when kind of salad is put on the menu. Um, And then we have, you know, it took us two years to plan out broccoli. So we were getting, you know, hundreds of pounds of broccoli in during four or five months during kind of the broccoli seasons. Um, We have Asian pears that come in. It's very seasonal, right? But it's the beginning of the school year, August, September, um, some of October. And that has been upwards of 6,000 pounds of Asian pears coming in. Um, so within within any semester, nearly all um, elementary schools and um, definitely all high schools are receiving local produce. Do you know how many schools in Tucson are participating in either the farm to school or have some component of a garden on site that are exposing kids to that side of it? 
We already have um, a, a really robust school gardening program, um, in large part through the U of A Community and School Garden Program, um, and that is really influential. So we have kind of hands in the garden, students connecting to to how food grows in, in some capacity. Then we have this larger farm-to-school program, um, and the food literacy program was really a response to both of those, connecting those two things so that's, that all students in our community, regardless of if they have access to a school garden or regular local produce that they're having access to learning about our food system, um, touching food, learning how to cook it, um, empowering them to kind of make um, exciting decisions about how to support their health and their family's health and their community's kind of well-being. So are there ways that we can expand the program? I mean, how difficult is it to add another vegetable or another fruit into that system? Is it is it pretty onerous? Five years ago, I would have said, I don't understand what the problem is. You just add it to the menu, right? Um, there are all of these. It's They're, they're logistical challenges. Um, and so the, the kind of solution for a lot of us on this team was, okay, if we really just focus in on one or two new items, what can happen is we can troubleshoot what is going to happen. So we pilot it for a year. We figure out what the challenges are, um, if there are any, right? It kind of sets up a flow you know, local melon was something that we did this past school year of like, how does that work? How does it not? Tucson Unified School District is the second largest school district in the state of Arizona. So we're working on a very large scale. And what I've noticed um, in my time working at Tucson Unified and then really connecting into this larger landscape of what school food is and why it is, is that it oftentimes is um, is looked at as as like a school or a district really being in charge of what that food looks like. Um, and I think there there is definitely opportunity for continued growth, right? I think most schools, um, I mean, Tucson Unified does an amazing job um, really working at our school menu with one of the tightest budgets in the nation, right? We know that the, the amount of um, taxes and funding that have been cut nationally, Arizona has been hit the hardest. But we do have the ability to create positive change and impact and bring more conversation to the what and the why of school food. And then that really opens the door to the what and the why of, of our community and why we have so many people in our nation that qualify for free and reduced lunch. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is a delight to be here. That was Ronnie Olson, coordinator of TUSD's Farm to School program. Sunnyside School District is working with the Community Food Bank of Southern Arizona on a feasibility study for its own Farm to School program. And that's the buzz for this week. Find all episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on the NPR One app. This week's show was produced and edited by me, Ariana Brocious, with production help from Emma Gibson. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer, Andrea Kelly is the news director, and our music is by Enter the Haggis. Christopher Conover will be back next week. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.